Are you sick and tired of the financial bondage that's been holding you back? Are you ready to take charge of your finances to cut your mortgage payment in half while reducing your taxes significantly? If yes, then this podcast is for you. Fiscal Fitness and Freedom can pay off the national debt in less than 10 years. So from humble beginnings of just about $500, Scott built a billion-dollar mortgage company. So here's your host, Scott Smith. Hi, I'm Scott Smith. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Laura Lewis. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much, Scott. Happy to be here. So tell me how you became interested in this economic proposal. Well, I first picked up your book this past January and I took it with me on vacation. I went to the beach and... Wait, um, you, you don't tell me you read the book at the beach. <laughs> I definitely did. It was just so interesting. I couldn't put it down. I you was, know the books you know, about economics. <laughs> That's what surprised me. It was just, you know, I, I found myself reading and doing like research. I was like Googling, half reading, you know, like it was just, it consumes me. Um, so at least I still got a tan, but I, huh. I learned a lot about tax code and economics. It was honestly just, it was a really quick read and I learned a lot, but there was so much that I still have questions on. So uh, mm. could you give me a quick summary of the book and maybe just give um, yeah. listeners an idea of what it's about. Yeah. So the book is really divided into three solutions. There's a first two chapters set the stage, talks about economics from my unique viewpoint. So the title of the book is A Tale of Two Economies. My viewpoint on economics is that there are really two economies at play here. There's the material economy we live in. That's where we get our standard of living. It's supply and demand of goods and services, production and consumption of those goods and services. And most people would kind of think, yep, that's the economy. But then there's the monetary economy. And I have a background of doing a lot of things on Wall Street. That's the monetary economy. So I set that preface and, and I say, that's the challenge we have today is these two economies, the monetary economy, uh, in essence, actually taxes and pulls back the material economy, which does not serve as well. So I come up with three solutions. The first solution is a tax solution and it's taxing payments and getting rid of all income and sales taxes. And that would be a huge reduction in taxes for people's personal tax. And yet, by taxing payments, we would actually collect enough money that we could pay a number of remarkable benefits. And that's the, that's the second solution in the book are these remarkable benefits. And they're just astounding as to what we could actually afford for the citizens of the country. And then the third part, in some ways, is my favorite part, and it's called Banking 2.0. And it's a transformation of the banking system in our country. And like, for one, that would cut your mortgage payment in half. It does a lot of remarkable things. So those are the, that's an overview of the book itself and the three solutions. Wow, I definitely love the sound of lower taxes. That's probably the part that got me the most excited. Mm -hmm. um, I know in it, you're proposing a huge tax break. Um, and somehow there's additional money for the benefits that you mentioned. How would that work? Well, so that is a good question, because usually a tax break means 
uh, less benefits, right? And so the whole key to this is we would be changing our tax base. We would be taxing payments and we would not be taxing income. And if you look at uh, today, we social security tax that comes out of your income, that's about 14% of your income. If you're W-2 employee, uh, your employer pays seven and you pay seven. So that's right off the top of your income. And then there's n- normal income taxes, which can go all the way up to 39%, depending on your income level. There are capital gain taxes uh, on a long-term gain of sale of an asset. There are property taxes and there are sales taxes. All of those are focused on a tax base that's roughly $21 trillion. A base is like what you're taxing. And so all of our income collectively together is $21 trillion. The spending of every state, city, and the federal government together, all of them together is around $8.5 trillion. So you can see you're trying to pull eight and a half trillion out of a pot of like 21 trillion. The reason a payments tax works is the amount of payments in our economy just is ridiculously larger than our income. Instead of 21 trillion as our income is, the total payments are 7,625 trillion. So yeah, you compare 7,600 to 21. entirely different. So just taxing, that's 7.6 quadrillion, a number we normally don't use in economics. You know, contrast that to our debt is 31 trillion. That's a huge number. And 7,600 is just gargantuan. So that our standard economy, our material economy, what we normally think of is our income and spending represents less than 1%. In fact, about a third of 1% of this larger economy that's not taxed at all. So by taxing payments, an individual who is earning, say, a single person earning 100 grand is going to pay 30, 40,000 in taxes. A family earning 100 grand is going to be paying maybe 17,000 in taxes, 1720. Their taxes would go down to $250. 200. Wow. So we're talking about a huge tax reduction. And yet you have a balanced budget and you have so much money you could pay all the benefits we'll talk about in the next podcast. With all of the things happening with our economy and the deficit and all of those issues, why hasn't this been done before? Oh, well, then the need is there. <laughs> you know, I mean, we got we have three thirty one trillion in debt and a deficit that's been over a thousand over a, tr- a trillion for years now and it does not show going under a trillion no projections really that are realistic show that so the need is there the only reason this has not been proposed before is that figure of 7600 trillion not widely known not widely known at all i've talked to a number of people in congress they they're astounded they're like this this can't be true you know but i've even talked to a fed federal reserve president and this data comes out of the Fed. And he was like, where are you getting this? And I said, from the Fed. You know? <laughs> from you. <laughs> so they, I would, I would imagine if you surveyed 100 economists, PhDs at major universities, I, I would be surprised if you found one that knew this, this figure. And the reason is, is this figure is generated for very different purpose than like tax policy 
it's generated within a small group within our central bank that reports into what's called the Central Bank of Central Banks. That's the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. All the central banks belong to that sort of over that umbrella. And they're charged with how do you move all the money all around the globe? You know, that's 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 a technical problem. It's a it's a it involves a lot of financial technology. It's a challenge. And the, that sheer volume in making sure it's accurate is a major task of the central bank. So they've they've had to study this in order to meet that need. And it's taken them a long time to put the technology in place to be able to study it. In fact, we don't have anywhere near a real-time view right now. Like if somebody were to say between you know January and June of 2023, how much money changed hands, they'd be guessing, they'd be extrapolating from other numbers. It's not real-time. I'm still waiting for the publication to come out to report what 2021's figures were. That 7,625 is mostly a blend of 2020 and some data that I had for 2021. It's likely to be much higher than the 7,600. And on top of that, there were some major types of trades that I could not get the data on. So that figure does not include those trades. The, the figure is actually substantially higher than that. So it's just that this is new material. We're just discovering it. Because if I can guarantee you, if on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, they had a, they had a, like they might, you know, show CPI or M1 money supply or whatever. They had this little in index showing how much money, um, was paid in payments, you know, since the beginning of the year. It would not take long. <laughs> Till tens of thousands of people were saying, uh, why are we not taxing that instead of taxing our income? <laughs> so it's just a matter that it's it's new information. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, knowing that, what would it take to implement it then? Oh, this is a good question. People would think that's hard, but because uh, I've had people saying, how, how on earth would you do something like this? It's far easier to shave a quarter of a point off of each payment made in our country than it is to collect income taxes or social security taxes. I mean, the effort is 1% of the effort of what we're doing today. Today, you have to have, you know, employees taking W-2 money and calculating it and, you know, how many exemptions and, and, and there's a lot of compliance that's necessary, people filing tax returns. There's a lot of that's why we have an IRS to dig in and audit and see is are people complying and and um and it's if we had a payment tax in place today and people were proposing an income tax, people you know economists say there's no way we could pull that off that like calculate all that that's ridiculous. So we have seventy five thousand pages of tax code for the IRS for the, our current tax system. And this entire thing could be written up in less than 50 pages. It would be far wow. easier to do this. And, and, and you wouldn't have to do a thing. You know, we'd never file a tax return again. There would never be, it's not our responsibility. It comes out of the system. It's called the, it's the uh, settlement system. Settlers would actually shave that money off as it flows through um, from one account to another. 
So it'd be very easy to do. That's so, sounds so much simpler. I was really fascinated to read about how much taxes have changed just over the last century. Like the, I had to like pull out my calculator and Google just to kind of see how all of that made sense. But it was really interesting to see. Did you, so were you surprised that taxes have been coming down? Absolutely. I mean, I live in New York City, so the idea of even higher taxes was shocking to me. But yeah, I mean, I I think just everything that I've heard in the media and just buzzwords and stuff around it's all about how high taxes are and, you know, like tax rates and this and tax brackets. And so it just seemed to me like there was no way that was possible. But yeah, it, it just shocked me. Well, so taxes started in 1913 and for and it in the very beginning, they were just 7% on the wealthiest people. But within five years, they were up to 77% on the wealthiest. And that was in large measure because of World War One. And so taxes stayed way up there in the 20s. It's arguable whether they played a role in precipitating the Great Depression. But they came down and boom, they had to bump them way back up. So taxes were actually between 94 and 91 percent from the early 40s through the early 60s. And here's an interesting. Yeah, 91 to 94 percent. I mean, imagine even floating that proposition to say. And so (laughs) like today, the sentiment is, oh, lower taxes, that's a conservative um, policy. And, And so you'd be interested in knowing that it was Kennedy who brought them down. He ran on this platform of we should reduce taxes from 91% to 50% he proposed. And the conservatives were up in arms. You know, this is just so fiscally irresponsible. And he was arguing that, no, it'll stimulate the economy and we'll collect more. And so he managed, um, his administration managed to get them down to 70%. And then they stayed at that level for 20 some years. And then you have Ronald Reagan coming along, quintessential conservative compared to Kennedy as the quintessential liberal makes the exact same arguments that Kennedy made. And he reduces them down to 28%. And and that was, and sure enough, deficits shot up, debt was going up, and Bush followed and had to take them back up to 39. But for 30 years after that, they bounce around between 36, 39%. So they've been, that's those, the last few decades are the lowest tax rates we've had. And you would think they were high by the way people are. And they are high when you realize that your fair share is not a double digit figure. Your fair share, if everything was being taxed, is only 0.25%. I need to understand more about the what the fair share on that would be. If we're going into like a percentage of it, how does that work? Okay, so fair share is something that people come back to, and that's been a buzzword, but they're talking about fair share if we were taxing income. Now, if we were taxing income and you were trying to cover the eight and a half trillion dollars that state, federal, and local tax governments spend, we'd have to tax rates at 40% and have no deductions. <laughs> you know, just flat 40%. That would be the fair share if you're taking it out of income. But because income is one third of 1% of the total payments, your fair share if you're taking it out of all the total payments and you're saying make 100,000, your 100,000 
is your piece of the 7,600 trillion in payments. Okay. And so if you were doing that, it's a quarter of a percent. And at a quarter of a percent, we would collect $19 trillion. Today, we collect around six, six, seven trillion. We have a deficit, so we don't collect the full eight and a half trillion that we spend. And that's why we would have all those additional benefits. So fair share is looking at the whole pie instead of a tiny fraction of the pie. So we have, um, we'll put in, there's a table that we'll put in here. And if you're viewing it, you'll see the table and it shows the total payments. You'll see all these different types of payments that occur and how they total to $7,625 trillion. And then we'll look at a couple of graphs. And in this one graph, the huge sphere you see, that's the total payments in the little red dot on the bottom. So for people who don't have video, it's like a, a basketball next to maybe a grain of um, rice. Okay. So that little dot, that's our budget. Although that's the eight and a half trillion the government spends in that sphere is the payments. Then in this next diagram, there's spheres with a chunk taken out of them. And so that big chunk is the amount of money that we take out of our income to pay for taxes. And then you see in the sphere underneath it, that tiny sliver, that's the piece that we'd be taking out of the total payments with a payment tax. It's just that the sphere is so huge that that chunk turns from a big chunk to just a tiny sliver. So fair share is what's the size of the pot that you're dividing up and what's your piece of that pot. So if you're making a hundred grand out of 7,600 trillion, you know, your fair share is only a quarter of a point. That's what fair share really means. That makes sense. I like that a lot more. It's so much more equal on how much it's relating to what you're actually making and buying versus mm -hmm. what my income is. Right, right. Because we're comparing one person's income to another. And all of our income, including Bill Gates, you know, it's 21 trillion. And so that's, I mean, that's a huge number, but it's nothing compared to 7,600 trillion. So that's, that's the challenge. I think that makes it a little bit easier to understand too on what the taxes are on the small, like on the payment stuff, because it's all the same percentage on it. Mm -hmm. It's every, every time money changes hand, shoot. A little piece is shaved off. You're not looking at, did you make a profit? Did you make a loss? You know, like if you sell your house and you got a check for a million dollars, you're going to pay 2,500. Now, if you lost a hundred thousand on the transaction, doesn't matter. You still pay the 2,500. I'll give you another example of what's not tax a day. If a PE fund puts together a, a $5 billion fund. When the $5 billion is invested into the PE fund, that's not a taxable gain or anything today. But wiring in on a capital call commitment, 0.25% would come out. And then when that PE fund goes and buys a company with it, there's that 0.25% comes out on whoever owns that company. Now, if they just made a killing on selling that company, and they're only paying a tax of 0.25%, they're going to jump up and down. But if they <laughs> lost money 
on that company and they're still paying 0.25%, you know, it's still a tiny tax. And so I've had to reality check this with PE fund, general partners and PE funds and hedge funds. And to a T, everyone has said, I get it. I get, yeah, that we'd be paying certain taxes. We don't today, but absolutely this would work better for the economy. And I would, I would totally support it. And, and then from a personal point of view, they're, they see a huge benefit. So it's not going to get the pushback that any other tax proposal would. Right. I think even just based off of the simplicity of it, the amount of money they would be saving on compliance alone would help. Oh, right. Right, right. Oh, yeah. The figures I've seen on corporate compliance for taxation is just shocking. And you're looking at a corporation that is in all the states of the union. There's 50 states they're paying taxes into. It's the federal government. These tax laws are constantly changing. There's all these local um, cities have their own rules. It's, you know, compliance is, is... an enormous problem today. And with a payment tax, you don't even think about it. It occurs without you having to worry. I really love the sound of that. I think we can all use a little bit of simplicity, a little bit more at least when it comes to taxes. It's just also... Absolutely. (laughs) I wanted to know a little bit more about what that would mean as far as on the personal side for for taxes. You mentioned we, we wouldn't have to do tax returns and stuff like that. It would just off the top come off. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be responsible for paying a payment tax. You wouldn't file a tax return. So what would happen is um, if if you receive a check for a thousand dollars and you deposit that check, um, two dollars and fifty cents would come out of that and you would your deposit would reflect your net amount. It would just come out automatically. And so every time you deposited money, a tiny piece, whether it was a gift or income or capital gain, what it'd be the same amount would just come out. And you would never have to think about it, but it would be relatively small. It would be less than a percent, it'd be a quarter of a percent. So the in that case, the bank is doing the settlement. So the bank is what shaves that out for you. So it's always a settlement agent. Um, in cryptocurrency, it would be in the software and it would just automatically happen again too. Could you talk a little bit more about what we're going to see in the next couple of episodes? Oh, sure. Well, if we're collecting $19 trillion, we have an awful lot of money that we can spend on benefits. And again, here's the theory. If the most of the payment tax comes out of the monetary economy, because the material economy represents only a, less than 1% of the total economy, that money that comes out of the monetary economy is being invested back into the material economy. And that stimulates economic growth. And the reason people in the monetary economy are okay with this is because those financial assets grow in value when the material economy's growth is stimulated. And so what it would allow us to do is pay basic income to every adult citizen does not matter what you make. It's not tied to your income. You, everybody, every adult citizen would get $24,000 a year automatically. So you get a check every month for $2,000. When you turn 70, you get a check for 3,000. You get 36,000 a year. You would also be able to pay for free healthcare 
and uh, free college. We would have uh, free daycare for people a certain and for any for people who had children under five, you could have free daycare. That's one of the major barriers to getting a further education or to getting a job is that is daycare. And then to fully encourage work, we would have the budget to pay very substantial earned income credits. So if you're making 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand, you would actually get a credit. So your take home pay would be greater than your salary with earned income credits. So those are benefits that the flat out, we can't afford it today. You know, uh, there'd just be no way to fund them. And yet with a payment tax, not only could we afford them, but after you've paid all of that and you've balanced the existing budget, you'd have $1.9 trillion in a surplus that we could spend on even more things. So the next. Wow episode will be on those benefits. And then following that, we'll talk about banking 2.0 and how it transforms the banking system in a way that serves the citizens of this nation and also will help strengthen our nation in the international scene. Huge deal for both citizens and for the nation as a whole. Banking 2.0. Those are the the next episodes. I cannot wait to dive into those. Well, folks, join us on the next two and you're going to get more amazing, more amazing possibilities. And all of this just comes out of the math. This does not require uh, people to become more altruistic, more kind, anything like that. People are people, and this is financial engineering that improves all of our lives. Thanks for watching. So that's it for today's episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value grand prize drawing for a private VIP mentoring session with Scott Smith himself. Be sure to head on over to fiscalfitnessandfreedom.com and pick up a copy of Scott's blueprint to discovering your own unique formula to personal success. And join us on the next episode.